You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Hello, Real Life family. How are you guys doing? So good to see your faces. Hi, online family. Good to see you guys as well. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for choosing uh, to join us online. Um, I am excited today as we dive into our uh, parable and uh, this week's been an interesting week for me as I've got the chance to study this in depth, and, and I do take, count it as a privilege. It's a privilege to be on staff at a church. It's a privilege to serve the Lord, and I just thank you guys uh, for giving me the opportunity to do that. Uh, I count it as an honor and a privilege. So the parable of the lost son, or is that the correct title? That's the title uh, that we've heard it by, the parable of the prodigal son. The parable of the lost sons is another title that has been given. It's had quite a few titles over its time, and the title kind of shapes our view of this story. One of the books that I was reading, uh, they had done this study in regards to this particular story, and they gave it out to a bunch of people groups that were not familiar with this story and asked them, what's the point of the story? And one of these people groups, uh, kind of like, what do you mean, what's the point of the story? The story is about a famine. The story is about starvation. It's about dying. Guess what that people group had experienced? A famine. Guess what I have not experienced? Right? So why would I pick that up? You know, I'd pick up, you know, what do you relate to? And I guess that's a really important part as we set the stage for what God's doing in the story and hopefully have new eyes to take a look at it. Um, it's also very, very important. It matters who Jesus was talking to. And, and uh, the beginning here in verse 15, it says, so, so really this is, it's three parables. We separate them into three parables, but there's not really a break in that. And you have the parable of the lost uh, coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the lost son, and we kind of have separate them out, but Jesus kind of flows through this. So who is he talking to when he says, talks about these parables? It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. How would you like it if it was your profession and the sinners, the insurance agents and the sinners, the accountants and the sinners? The professors and the sinners, the engineers and the sinners. Why am I getting wrapped up into that same, same thing? So tax collectors, important, just quick point. So they worked for the, the oppressors. They were of those people. They knew those people, but they would take, it'd be, you are like the Benedict Arnold of Benedict Arnold. You are the person who is, who is taking from your own people. So you would be listed uh, in the same category or below the sinners. Why would you even, you even take from the sinners? And so the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So who else was there when Jesus is teaching these tax collectors and these sinners? The Pharisees. Who Jesus is talking to matters. It mattered then and it matters now as he's talking to all of us. 
and the hearers of the word, the people who are hearing this. What what are you going to allow the message to do in your heart today? How are you going to see it with fresh eyes? Jesus continued on in verse 11 here. We're going to jump into the parable of the lost son or the lost sons or the famine or whatever title you want to give it to. There's lots of titles. Here's an interesting point. One of the, uh, the teachers I was listening to this week on this, he sat underneath a um, rabbi in Jerusalem, and this rabbi uh, was not a believer in Jesus, but he sure thought a lot of Jesus' parables. His job as a rabbi, the only thing that he really did was study parables. He studied over 4,000 parables that he could find. And this non-Jesus-believing uh, rabbi said that no one... No rabbi holds a candle to the depth of Jesus' parables. And that's all this guy does. So our Savior is pretty good. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So in this culture, everything is, is uh, it's pretty, pretty agricultural. They're growing things. That's how you know, like, your land could decide whether you lived or died. Not whether or not there was a pandemic. Not whether or not the grocery store was open. Whether the land that you own produced decide whether you live or die. And so your land is your soul, Your land is like, it's so much a part of you. Just think of a farmer on his knees with his hands in the dirt. This, Lord, please help this produce so we don't die. And so when you're asked to to give your, say that you want your inheritance, you're going to have to liquidate your land. And what the younger son is saying is, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. I want your stuff, but I don't want you. I actually wish that you were dead because that's when I'll get my stuff, and I want it early, and I want it now. You are just a means to an end. Have you ever wanted the things that God could provide for you, but you didn't want the accountability that went along with it? Do you want God's stuff, but not him? Do you want what he can provide, but not his guidance? So in the context of that day, this is an honor and shame culture. You said this, and this all happened. The father did it. By the way, where's the older brother in this? Because it says that he, he divided the property between them. Who's the them? The older son and the younger son. The older son was the behor, and he would get about two-thirds of the estate. The younger son uh, would get about a third of the estate. So where's the older brother saying, no, 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 no. That's not the way we do it in this family. Or is the older brother maybe competitive? He's like, good, get out of here then. I don't like you anyway. Have you seen any unhealthy competitiveness between siblings? Who's mom and dad's favorite? Who gets this and who gets that? Where's the older brother? Maybe that makes sense why there's a title, The Parable of the Lost Sons. 
So the father in that day, he would, he would drive out the younger son. If this happened, you're out of here. You're gone and you're gone. And you're probably going to starve to death. You are out of this. And this would have happened in front of the whole family here. This would be like uh, Jacob or Tori or Ellie coming up here to me in front of all of you and saying, Dad, I want your stuff. I want what you provide for me, but I don't want you. I reject you. Give me my stuff. And you guys got to all observe it. You get to observe how I respond to it. And I would not have responded the same way. your kids wishing that you were dead. So let me ask you this. How do you respond when your unconditional love is rejected? What are your actions like? How does this father respond? And how do you view God and his response on the times when I've rejected his unconditional love, and I have. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and squandered his wealth in wild living. How did he get together all, his ha- all he had? Did he pick up his land and take it with him? Nope. Now you get to farm and try and live off of two-thirds of what you had before and watch somebody else. And because of the honor and shame culture on that, he would not get a fair price for that because you guys just saw me get worked up here, right, by my kids. So you're going to be like, That's, that, that kid is, needs a spanking, first of all, right? And to do that in front of the whole culture, and there's going to be a great opportunity because are you going to pay a premium price for that? No, so you probably sold it at a great discount. And so now he goes off and he squanders this, this money. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the field, uh, to, into his fields to feed pigs. And you see the person over there. This distant place would probably be the Decapolis. Uh, the Decapolis, uh, you could see it across the, the, the sea, but it was such a, a horrible place. Of, of oppression and, and ungodliness that it, you were considered unclean as a, as a Jew if you even said the word Decapolis. You are unclean for something even coming out of your lips. And so where would you go to squander all your wealth? Las Vegas. Oh, no, I'm not saying Las Vegas, but that would be like the Las Vegas of their time. You could get into all kinds of trouble. You could lose it all pretty quickly there. And so this, this, he gets broke, and then this guy's like, oh, yeah, old Jewish boy, yeah, I got a job for you. Go feed my pigs. There's all kinds of problems with the Jewish boy feeding pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants, I want you to remember that word, hired servants, have food to spare And here I am starving to death. I will sit out and I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I want you to remember that too. So remember hired servants and remember, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me... Make me like one of your hired servants. 
So he got up and he went to his father. Did a little homework, got to take a look at some scholars, and they talked about servants. And there's different classes of servants that would be there. So that's why this wording is pretty important. Um, so uh, the scholar was talking about there's bondsmen, and they were like family. They would be in the family. As Brian Bretzman says, they would have refrigerator rights where you could walk into my house and be like, hey, how's it going? Open the fridge, grab yourself some food, sit on down, and refrigerator rights, your family. Bondsmen, they would be in the family, treated like family, sitting at the family table, their family. And then the next type of servant would be a lower class servant who would report to the bondsmen and they would be kind of on the outskirts of those things. They're not really treated as much like family, but they still have the protection of, of the community. They still have the, they're under the protection of the community. And if you messed with one of those servants, you know, you got a problem. And then the third type of a servant that, that they would talk about is a hired servant, a 1099 independent contractor, not part of the family. They live back in, 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 in a city or a different village, and they come out and do contract work. They don't have to, to really, you know, they don't have to really report to the, to the, to the they, they come and do the work, but they're not owned by that person. They still have the freedom. They could go to the Decapolis on the weekends. And it changes my view of this son about being really sorry. And it changes my view about the amount of grace that the father gives to the son. So, while he was still a long ways off, the father saw him, and he was filled with compassion for him. Do you believe that your father in heaven is filled with compassion for you? He sees your steps. Do you think that the father in heaven is looking says he saw him. What does that mean? You know, the Father in heaven is looking for you. He's looking. He wishes for none to be lost. So he ran to his son, and, and AJ uh, addressed that a little bit. So you would never run as a patriarch. I think there's only two instances in the whole Bible where a patriarch runs. Because in order to run, you'd have to lift up your robe. And in order to, to lift up your robe, you'd show your legs. And that was like the most offensive thing you could really do. This is the shame among shame, among shame, among shame. And guess what would happen? So here we are, church. We're here as a happy family. Let's pick on my son since this is a story about sons. He goes off and he, uh, he, he liquidates all of my 401k. We had to sell our house uh, uh, and, and move into a smaller or lesser place in front of all of you. He does all of these things and liquidates that. And Jacob's coming back. And you see me looking every day. I go out and I'm looking for my son. Is he going to come back? And every day I'm looking and I'm looking and looking and I see him and I run to him. And you get to observe, what is his father doing? He shouldn't do that. That would blow your mind. It's so shameful to run. First of all, you didn't kick your son out when you happened. Then you got embarrassed and liquidated all your profit, or all your, your stuff. And then you ran out to this son of yours. You call him your son. And what did you do when you ran out to him? He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. 
And the son said to the father, his rehearsed speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned against you. I am no, lo- worthy, uh, no longer worthy to be called your son. Where do we see this, this phrase, I have sinned against heaven, and I have, I have, I've sinned against God, and I have sinned against you? Where do we see this phrase before? Think about the audience, the Pharisees, the tax collectors, and the sinners, right? So if you're a hearer of the story, you would be like, ah, I've heard those words before. I've sinned against God, and I've sinned against you. Where have I heard those before? Well, you would have heard those before in Exodus 10, 16, and you would have heard that from, you remember the story about Pharaoh, when Pharaoh, was Pharaoh sorry? Amen. No, he was not sorry. Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron, and he said to them, I have sinned against the Lord your God and sinned against you. Get away from me with all of these plagues. Leave me alone. And he's coming back to be a hired servant so he can have his independence, right? Is he really sorry? I don't know. I wasn't there, but let's play along here and say he wasn't really sorry. And how much more grace and how much more love do we see the father even loving on a kid who maybe wasn't as sorry? But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. So whose robe would it be if it was the best robe? Be the father's. And whose ring would it be? It would be the father's. And whose sandals would they be? Be the father's. It'd be the best. Yes, the father's the best. But it didn't this guy, isn't he pretty dirty? I thought that that he was out working with pigs and it'd be like if you were camping for four or five days, you never took a shower and you rolled around in pig, pig stuff and you'd come back not looking real great. So like before you got to come back to God, you got to get yourself all cleaned up first, right? No. And I guess the question I want to ask you guys, because God wants to clothe you with the best that he has, which is his community, which is his word, which is his love. He wants to wrap that around you no matter how dirty you are. The question I asked myself this week is, as a pastor, I was like, am I too dirty to be loved by God? And sometimes I feel like I'm too dirty to be loved by God. And that takes me to the world of shame. And I go sit in my shame cesspool And look at all the things that I've done and look at all the things that I've thought and look at all of these things. You are not too dirty to be loved by God. No one is too dirty to be loved by their father in heaven. So he says, bring bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost and he's found so they began to celebrate Let's talk about this fatted calf. Meat was hard to come by. A uh, fatted calf would be a pretty big deal. This probably, the whole village would be involved if you were killing a fatted calf. Like, everybody's coming. This is not just a barbecue. This is a giant celebration. I remember getting invited to my friend Jamal's uh, sister's wedding um, in, uh, in, in, in California when I was a kid. And this was like, he was from Pakistan. And this was like a three-day party. 
because the daughter was like, this is not just like, hey, you guys want to get together for a barbecue? No, this is like, we're staying the night, we're getting up, we're eating more, we're staying the night because we aren't going to refrigerate this or give you the take-home stuff to go put in your freezer. We're eating this whole calf right now. This is probably the biggest party that this patriarch has ever thrown. This is a big deal. It's not just some animal that, ah, fatty calf, okay, cool. Big deal. So meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older, righteous brother, right, he became angry and refused to go into the biggest party that his father has ever thrown. Shame. He shames his dad in the eyes of the community as much as the the younger son shames his dad by not welcoming what his dad welcomes back. That's why it's a pretty appropriate title of the parable of the lost sons. Again, when we get a chance to teach this around the country, this is one of the, the uh, with, to the pastors when we're talking about relational discipleship, this is the story that we use and we often look at it and ask these questions. Today, in your life today, who do you relate to the most? Are you the son that left, that's running from God, that wants his stuff but doesn't want him, that wants the blessings but doesn't want, what, doesn't, doesn't want the, the relationship? Are you the older son who's kind of doing everything right, but is pretty bitter about it? That's making it hard, hard to be loved by the father because you have all of the answers? Or are you the father who's pursuing your kids? Are you the father that's pursuing them the right way? And I have been woefully a failure at that. That's who I am right now. So the older brother became angry and refused to go in. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. It's just the, the disrespect is amazing just in the verbiage here. Look. You, you do not address the patriarch of the family with look. You ever called for your kids and they're like, what? How's that work for you, Ernest? You like that? How's it work for the kids? You ever do that to your parent, to your dad? Good idea. What? We don't do that. That's disrespectful, but this is, this is super disrespectful. You're not coming in and now you're going to chastise your father. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. I was doing all the rules. I was doing everything right. That you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered away your property with prostitutes, comes home, we throw the biggest party we've ever had for that. Uh So the father should be pretty insulted by the way that the Behor is treating him. See, this idea of squandering living, they would get this. They would get this, and they would go to places in the text. You can look at Proverbs uh, 29.3. It says, a man who loves wisdom 
brings joy to his father. What's the difference between wisdom and experience? Experience is when you learn from your own mistakes, and wisdom is when you learn from other people's mistakes, right? So a man who loves wisdom brings joy to his father, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. Verse 31, he says, my son. The father said, this is my son. This is really hard for me to address uh, my children with a loving tone if I was just insulted, if I was just shamed. And he says, my son. Father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, your brother, not this son of mine, your brother was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. Are you too dirty to be loved by God? How do you accept this? That's right, sister. How do you accept his unconditional love? And then how are you modeling unconditional love to those around you? We're going to take this time to take a couple minutes to open your communion cup. If you're joining us at home, get your communion as well. There's some questions we have in your notes and on the screen. I have some other questions too as well. One of my questions that I asked myself this week is, have I been rejected as I've tried to hand out what I considered unconditional love? Have you ever rejected God's unconditional love? Why is he still pursuing me? I'm so dirty. Why is he still pursuing me? I'm not worth it. Those voices of the evil one trying to tell you what you are. Let God tell you what you are. How much grace are you willing to accept from your Father in heaven? How much grace are you willing to accept from your Father in heaven. And the other end of that is how much grace are you willing to extend to others? I see those being linked. Better my relationship is with the Lord, the more graceful, the more grace I've received from him and realize it, the more graceful I am to others. And when I'm not realizing the grace, that he's giving to me, my grace with others seems to be quite a bit shorter. So you can't have this fabulous relationship with God and a horrible relationship with, his, with your brothers and sisters. They don't, they don't fit. Your relationship with God is totally tied with how you're treating with others. And how you treat others is totally tied with your relationship with God. And so he came to the, to the table to show us this grace through shame, through guilt, through being dishonored in front of people. The cross was the, 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 the most shameful way to die. It's the most shameful way to die. And he went onto the cross and covered shame. 
all of the hearers of this would have taken something away from this. If you were the Pharisee, you'd be like, I can't be like the older brother. Where was I when the Gentile sinners and tax collectors ran off? Why wasn't I there? If you were the tax collector, you'd feel like you have a place of forgiveness and grace. And if you're a sinner, good news. He has more grace than you have sin. And he proved it on the cross. So the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and he, when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember his grace. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whoever, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's proclaim him and his grace. Father, I just thank you for this uh, time. I thank you for your beautiful, wonderful word. I thank you for the, the worship today. It has touched my heart, Lord. Lord, let me accept the robe that you're trying to put around me. The robe of mercy. The robe of love. The robe of kindness. The warmth that you bring. Lord, let me accept the ownership of having a your ring on my finger. that I am part of your family. Thank you for telling me that I matter and that I'm not too dirty to be loved. And Lord, thank you for the sandals you're putting on our feet, that these sandals are for us to move. These sandals are for us to go and share with the rest of the world what kind of a grace giver you are. You've put sandals on our feet. We just have to choose to use them. We've got to choose to walk with you, Father. You've called this church to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. Let us walk it out well. Lord, you've called us to become biblical disciples and to understand and study your word and that we're not supposed to do it just by ourselves. We're supposed to do it in relationship. Let's build relationships, Lord. Help us build relationships here so we can make more disciples that will share your grace, your love, your mercy more and more and more in our area, Lord. Father, I praise you. I thank you for this time. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.